You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? It's weird. All the football's it's kind of gone away. It's gone now. That's it. We're well and truly into, into summertime now, the nothingness until something happens again. Um, but I'm okay, as you can hear. My voice is a little better than this time last week, I would say, That's back true. to 83.64% fitness not 100 okay. percent yet but but getting there getting well, you've got there. a whole summer to get to to work on that you know that is true that is true uh congratulations to you first and foremost to kick today off on winning the sports entertainment book of the year at the sunday times sports book awards in your fucking face in it blighton <laughs> yeah thanks man and thank you to everyone who voted because i think it was at least 50 percent an audience vote so you all yeah. played your part arsenal and arsenal online unbeaten strike once again. again strike again uh yeah it was very cool i have to be honest when i turned up um quite a few of the people in my category like um, Phil Tufnell and Sir Jeff Hurst and Clive Tildesley were in attendance. Right. And I thought, that's a that's a bad sign. Yeah, that's no uh, good. If you're at that level, I reckon you get tipped off if you're winning one of these things. Um, so I was uh, not confident, shall we say, and not prepared to win, which made it all the more lovely and all the more surprising yeah. so yeah thank you so much for your votes it's very very lovely of you all awesome and did you have to get up and give a good speech and i did yeah i did have to i was deeply unprepared i forgot to thank my publishers um <laughs> it went off without a hitch uh, if there's no, anyone <laughs> i've forgotten please excuse me only the you know the the, the actual people who the guys made the who made the book yeah. yeah 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 they're quite important generally headline I'll give them a shout out here. Thanks to Headline, 
and now we're now we're all square. Now you're even. Now you're even. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. No, um, so yeah, no, yeah, it's good fun, stuff. and thank you for um, corralling people into voting. It seemed well, it must have worked. Well, look, if it helped in some small way, I'm very happy. But uh, it's great reward for you know what I've said more than once is a is a really good book. Um, and of course, people, if they don't know about it, if they want to have a listen back, we did an episode on it. Um, where I interviewed you about the book. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which number it is. I should have looked that up before I started. People are listening now. Um, but look, it's there. It's in the archives. If you just Google Arsecast, Champ, Chump, something yeah, like I'm that. Yeah, I'm doing it now. 638, episode six. There you go. There you go. So people can can get an idea of what the book is about. And if you're looking for something this summer to take with you on your holidays when you get away, if you are getting away, then, uh, yeah, I recommend that. Um, Paperback's out now. It's oh, cheaper. There's it's cheaper. Fun. It's smaller. It's Timing. more convenient, basically. Wow, you're ticking all the boxes for everyone. Today. By the way, yeah. that podcast is also on YouTube. Are all our podcasts on YouTube? Yeah, all of them are on YouTube. They go up uh, in non-video format right. on YouTube. Maybe we should do a few video ones. I don't quite know. But, um, for the YouTube guys. For the YouTube guys. But yeah, they're all on YouTube. We do have a YouTube channel where the podcasts go up. Um, I, pres- I probably should have known that before, but I'm not very attentive. That's okay. It's not something you have to worry about anyway. No, no, no. I just talk. I just talk. Just you worry about up. all the important stuff. Turn up and talk. It's yeah. a good job. You're you're quite good at it, I suppose. Um, I guess so. So, uh, how was the weekend? Did you watch any of the football goings on at the weekend? I did. I watched the championship uh, playoff final. Well, I had half an eye on it. Um, I didn't watch that, and I'm a bit sad about it because it's usually a really good game. I don't know what it is about that fixture, but it throws up some fucking amazing football. Well, the stakes are so high. Yeah, it's you know. They used to call it the hundred million pound game. I suspect it's probably worth more than that now. Well, um, it's probably called the um, one hundred trillion guinea game or whatever it sure. is that uh, it would be called in the UK now because we're all going back to <laughs> imperial measurements. That's true. That's true. It's called the relegated next season game um, because everyone's got oil money now. Uh, now it, it was quite interesting. I mean, unfortunately, it will be remembered for some poor officiating. You'll be wow shocked to hear. I um, I saw. The incidents um, yeah. in question. I didn't see yeah. the game, but I did see those incidents. I cannot believe yeah. that Huddersfield didn't get a penalty for the the one, you know, the one where the guy literally trips him up in the box. Yeah, and he the gets, second one. He gets, Is that the one in the corner of the box? No, yeah. no, no, no. That was the, the I don't know what, what order that happened in. I saw the two, and of the two, the one where the guy just trips him up and the, he gets booked for diving. Oh, that one, the first one. Fuck right, me. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? How does yeah. that even happen with VAR? <laughs> I mean, how? I, someone explain it to me. Um, as I was talking to um, uh, Matt Roxborough um, on, on Twitter this morning, and he said, like, it's either uh, gross incompetence or downright corrupt. And I don't know that you can find any other explanation for that decision Um yeah. I mean, I just I, don't get it. I, I actually think, I don't know how many replays you've seen of the first one, of them each, but I actually think the second one is maybe more egregious. Wow. I think it was even more obviously a foul. The first one, there's a sort of odd thing where from some angles, it looks like he's kind of chucked himself over the foot. Mm. But there is an angle, which I'm sure is the one you've seen on social media, where it's like, oh, no, no, he's just gone over his leg, which he's hung out in front of him. I mean, <laughs> Huddersfield fans, I can't imagine how aggrieved they must feel this morning. Um, yeah, unbelievable. 
But thoughts on Nottingham Forest coming back to the Premier League? That's got a retro feel to it. It does a bit. How long have they been gone now? Good 20 years or something? Yeah, something 17 years, something like that. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Nottingham Forest were obviously a a first division team uh, when I was a lad. So, yeah. Uh, Like, again, to me, it doesn't make any difference. Um, Well, we owe them something after January in the FA Cup third round. I mean, to be honest, it mainly makes me think, Oh, I don't fancy going there <laughs> because they had a great atmosphere and a decent team. And that was sort of around the start of a really, really good run from them that um, mm. led to them getting promoted ultimately. They All just right. missed out automatically, but got up by the playoffs. Yeah, we had a question on the Discord actually uh, from Wolfbane for score predictions for Nottingham Forest away on the first Friday under the lights. <laughs> yeah, 2 0, I would think. <laughs> Two nil. Scott, uh, Jamie Carrigan, Gary Neville celebrating on the cap for the cameras. Yeah, dressed. Both of them dressed like Robin Hood. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> dancing with the Forest fans uh, oh, live man. on that screen. feels absolutely inevitable. I mean, great for Forest, obviously, but heartbreaking for for Huddersfield to be on the wrong end of those decisions. Like, I, I'd never let that go. If that happened to Arsenal in a game of that magnitude, imagine we get to, like, imagine we get to a Champions League final or we get to a game that could decide the Premier League and that kind of decision went against us. I'd never, I'd never let it go. It would fester away in the pit of my stomach for eternity. I'm, I guarantee you. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who, was it John Moss? John Moss and Paul Tierney was on... Yeah. Uh, was on VAR, apparently. It was, so, it was John Moss's final match of his career. As well, well, he, I suppose, he wanted to go Fitting, out really. the way he, you know, refereed his career, being um, fucking yeah, useless. Yeah, quite incredible. So I watched that, and then, no, I didn't. There were a couple of other playoff finals, weren't mm. there? But I didn't really catch much other football. Champions um, League final? Oh, forgot about that. Yeah, I did see that. I saw the vast majority of that. Um the small matter of the Champions League final. I mean, sort of incredible, really, that Raul, um won that game. I mean, I do feel, you know, that sort of Did cliche you, of someone's name is on the cup. When you yeah. look at the way they've come through this tournament, it really has felt like that. Did you call them Raul there? Was that what you said? <laughs> Raul, Raul Madrid? Madrid. Um, hopefully yeah. not. No, no, Real. But I, uh, they were Real Madrid when he used to play up front for them. I guess. How do you? How do you view, like? A club like Real Madrid and their record in this competition. Someone made a really great point to me over the weekend. Well, <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Someone made a great point to me that they have this incredible history in the tournament. Sorry, I can't find the tweet. Um, but they were front and center in the Super League, you know, mm. and want to basically get rid of this tournament that they've had such incredible. Uh, history in uh it was completed uh, it i guess i guess maybe that's what it is it was uh jay alex who's at george am 1988 but i mean it is a weird thing to think about isn't it that like how does how can you have institutional knowledge of how to win a tournament when so many things change you know the president changes the personnel change the players change the coaches change or whether coaches come back every so often and win another one with them but you know it's weird to think that this institution has a record in it i mean it could be something as simple as like they're a very big club they buy a lot of good players and therefore they're always in with a good chance but you know that that could be also true of of other clubs who don't even come close yeah I don't know. I mean, it, it is kind of incredible. Serial winners in that team, a lot of them. Um, 
But, you know, it's not a, a 1 to 11, maybe, or you'd say the calibre of some Real Madrid teams of the past. No. And yet in this competition, who did they beat? I beat they, they beat Manchester City, they beat Chelsea, PSG. Um, PSG, I mean, and then Liverpool. Quite incredible, really. Um, Plucky underdogs, Real Madrid taking, know, on, the, right? taking on the oil money clubs. And, and I guess the, the quick answer on why they seemingly want to destroy a competition that they are most closely associated with is is a financial mm. reason, right? They, yeah. It's because they feel that they can get more of a level playing field with the other European clubs via the mm. Super League because um, they're essentially trapped in the financial backwater of oh, La no. Liga. Oh, no. Know. Trapped with all that UEFA Champions League uh, money. Hmm. Yeah. And as for Carlo Ancelotti, that was kind of incredible. I mean, I think it's five now for him. I am the record man, he said. Oh, did he? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably with a cigar on at the time. With one eyebrow raised. Uh, And to think, he was at Everton, you know. I mean, it's... A matter of months ago, whatever it was, a year or so. How did that happen? Some guys just land on their feet, I guess. Football is really weird. I think we all know that football is weird and strange things happen. And like in the cold light of day, do you ever look back on some things that happen in football and you go like, that was really odd. Whatever Mm. that transfer was, whatever that player playing there was, whatever uh, turn of events happened. But Carlo Ancelotti being at Everton is genuinely one of the strangest things. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and I also think it's sort of a lesson in how how much goes into football. In the, in you know, you can put Carlo Ancelotti at Everton, but that doesn't mean Everton will suddenly be good. You know, there's so many component parts. The alchemy mm. of what makes for success is so complex in football. Um but there's something about Ancelotti at Madrid that seems to work. Um and to be fair to Ancelotti, I mean, he's had an extraordinary career. He's uh, quite good, I mean, isn't he? Not I, bad. Yeah, I don't. Does. The thing is, uh, yeah, I don't think Everton will be kind of near the top of his eventual obituary. <laughs> you know, no. former Everton manager Carlo Ancelotti <laughs> has passed away today. <laughs> I don't uh, somehow, I think that will be the penultimate par. Yeah, he also yeah. weirdly turned up at Everton, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> Um, what what did you make of some of the the stuff that went on? Obviously, with the with the fans and um, the way that they were the the way that they were treated. It's it's a weird one, um, you know, because I remember going to the Champions League final in two thousand and six and seeing an Arsenal fan impaled on the railings as he yeah. had attempted to climb over, and there were yeah. paramedics and doctors and ambulances, and they had a blanket around him so you couldn't see what the what the wound mm. was, but I suspect he required more than a few stitches in yeah. one or more I mean, sensitive areas. The magic sponge areas. wasn't going to sort that out. No, I mean. no, no, no. Um, and I think it's always part and parcel of an event like this that there are going to be people who turn up without tickets who try and get in or who try and, um, um, you know, be part of what should have been an incredible day. But just reading some of the eyewitness testimony and reading some of the uh, the reports from fans and journalists who were there, it it feels like a very dangerous situation. Um, we're we're lucky that we weren't talking about something worse, maybe. And and having experienced a few uh, European away days with Arsenal in my time, you know, 
there are pretty much horror stories about the way English football fans are treated uh, in Europe mm-hmm. um, season after season after season. I don't know if the Real Madrid fans were policed differently. Maybe that's why there weren't any issues at their end. But it looked pretty fucking shambolic. And I think UEFA and the authorities and, and what have you instantly blaming fans makes me very fucking suspicious, you know? Um, it does, especially when you read so many eyewitness reports mm. from and not from Liverpool fans, from journalists who were caught up in the kind of melee. Um, it sounds like a very dangerous situation and the attempt to kind of politicise or spin it to be about fan behaviour uh, is really distasteful to me, especially yeah. in the context of it being Liverpool. Um, mm. And given the history there, I think it's pretty cheap and pretty nasty yeah. um, to turn it on their fans. And I'm listen, I'm sure there were fans who misbehaved. I'm sure there were fans who jump barriers or didn't have tickets listen that like you say that happens at every big occasion i was at the euro 2020 final and it was absolute chaos yeah um and a lot of that was fan driven but it does seem that in this instance the vast majority of fans were literally just trying to get into a stadium and you know forced through various bottlenecks that could have been could have been fatal um i don't think it's an exaggeration to say and so it's it's terrible, really. It's an appalling organisation. Yeah, but and, it and, is the spin that that has most sort of yeah irritated me. And I, I agree. think, I think, I think, uh, I think maybe you wrote this on the blog, but I, I think as football fans, you know, we should sort of try to stand together at moments like this rather than you know, yeah. Fingers at each Look, other. it's easy to you know, if you hate Liverpool, fine. If you don't want Liverpool to win the Champions League, uh, fine. I mean, that's perfect. I understand that completely. If you want to laugh at them losing the game, absolutely fine. That's what football rivalry is. And nobody is going to say, well, we should be up for the English club because, you know, we know that's not the case. Um, but I think with something like this, when, as you say, they're trying to spin it one way and it's easy to prey or to play on the, the, the sense of rivalry, you know, to go like, well, it's typical of Liverpool fans to do this. But like, if you're a football club, uh, whoever you support, if your away days in Europe or wherever else are whiter than white, maybe you get to, maybe you get to criticize or whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know, but that's not the case. There's always <sighs> messers and hijinks and whatever you want to call it, you know, in every fan base. Nobody's pure. Uh, people in glass houses and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, yeah. And I do think there is a, a need for more solidarity over things like this because it's just typical of what happens, not just in football, but in the world. You know, they blame ordinary people for the things that they did wrong. And I'm talking organizations and governments and however you want to do it. We are getting fucked over time and time and time again. And an easy way to distract people from what the real issue is is to is to divide them you know mm-hmm. use populism or whatever else you want to call it to divide people over key issues and then they can argue amongst themselves and we don't have to face the consequences of our actions and that's what that all feels like to me yeah couldn't agree more what did you make of the actual game uh it was all right it wasn't Great Courtois. I mean, everyone's talking about Benzema, aren't they? You know, with, with the Champions League this season. But I think Courtois in the last two games has incredible. been, you know, unbelievable. There was one 
great save from Salah, and you think about what he did with the the save from Grealish in the in the semi final. A couple of saves actually. Um, you know, it was okay. Um, they've tended to be a bit underwhelming the Champions League finals in in recent years. They have, you know, yeah. apart from when uh, obviously. Uh, Spurs lost. That was one of the greatest uh, finals <laughs> of of all time. Um, but yeah, I, I think Liverpool were not at their best. I think it's fair to say they were some way short of uh, their best. Yeah, I mean, I guess fighting on four fronts will maybe eventually catch up with you. Yeah, um, and we probably saw a bit of that. I'd say I thought it was interesting. You know, they had a massive parade uh, yesterday, Liverpool. I don't know if you saw yeah. any of that. And, I saw a uh, bit it, this morning on Twitter. Yeah. And but believe it or not, the uh, celebration police um, were called to the scene. Um, Did they make any arrests? <laughs> I think the entire Liverpool first team squad were arrested, yeah. Um, but I, no, I, I really thought, I have seen some criticism of that. And just in sort of keeping with our one of our themes of the season about the celebration police, I just thought that was so... Absurd. I mean, granted, they lost the Champions League final and they lost uh, the Premier League by ultimately, what was it, a winning goal, essentially, on the final day. But they still had an incredible campaign. And I think increasingly in football, it's going to be really important to, to celebrate the successes that you do have, especially if you're not one of kind of the, the oil-rich uh, clubs. Yeah. So, I just, yeah, I just think that, I just find it baffling that idea yeah and, and it, I, yeah I, I we sort of talked about it last week didn't we on uh, you yeah. know um about what what uh maybe redefining what success is mm. in the era of these clubs where it's going to make it very difficult and philippe talked about it a bit as well on the on the uh did. The that was a good on Friday. Listen, actually guys yeah if you have not heard that yet and it's like that. look if they want to celebrate and have a party at the end of a season which promised a lot and maybe didn't quite deliver as much as they would have liked so fucking what? You don't have to go. Yeah. You're not invited anyway. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm all for it. Fuck it. Like, people should have a good time. Life is short, and people should have a good time whenever they can. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, look, I thought uh, this might be what we have to do for the next few weeks anyway as the summer um, kicks on and not much happens because, you know, people are away on holidays and things like that. Um Preseason will obviously bring us back into the um, the grind, and we'll have transfers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we're probably going to have to do questions in both parts to give us some uh, talking points and what have you. So I'm going to kick off today with one on Twitter from Denoro. Oh God, Denorona, Denorona. I know the dude uh, at Denorona UK. I think that's how you might pronounce it. And he says to Gnabry or not to Gnabry. Um, well I am very bemused by this transfer rumour I must say Um, I I don't see why Serge Gnabry would join Arsenal right now Um, Mm. and I've not heard anything to suggest that that is going to happen now I've been wrong before but I am let's say I would love Serge Gnabry at Arsenal but I don't foresee that as a realistic outcome. Yes, I I agree. Would that be your instinct? Yeah, I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it? He's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it would be. He's only twenty six, twenty seven yeah. this summer. Um, he's amazing. You know, it's like the great regret of the probably the past uh, couple of decades that we didn't keep him, that we let him go, and he went on to become mm. a, 
a world star. Um, but why would he come to Arsenal? With the greatest of respect, I, I think he'll have other options. Mm, I Preferable agree. options. I Certainly agree. Champions League options. Do, do you mind if I just pause here for one second? Because no? my dog, Archer, is going a bit mad down the back of the garden, and I just need to see what's going on. Okay, So just fine. bear with me one second. That was my fault. Was it? It was. I fed the dogs and uh, feed them separately. And I left uh, Lana inside and Archer outside. I forgot to let him back in. So he was just, you know, giving out to me to yeah. let him back in. So I let him back in. I think everything's hunky-dory now. So there we Great go. News. Great uh, news. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if we have dog interruption music. Yeah, I was going to say, is it doorbell music? Because presumably no. he, uh, uh, as intelligent as he is, he didn't ring the doorbell. No, he didn't. He didn't. Let's think about that. Yeah. I don't know what to, Maybe I'll just do like a whoosh, whoosh, transition kind of sound. Nice. Um, but yeah, we're talking Serge Gnabry. It would be nice, but I would give it like a 0.0001% chance of happening. Yeah. It, it reminds me a bit of like, I feel like I took like a week off Twitter and I came back a few months ago and all the Arsenal fans were talking about us signing Erling Haaland and like, we must get Haaland. If we don't get the top four, will we still get Haaland? And, I, and it was like, I was, I was in a dream. Uh, and I feel a bit like that with Serge Gnabry. Mm. What I would ask is this, has anybody credible written about the prospects of Serge Gnabry coming to Arsenal? I don't think so. I've seen stuff like so. Serge Gnabry has turned down uh, a contract offer from Bayern Munich and it feels a bit like two and two being put together here. I mean, if- what, you know, it's interesting. I saw Fabrizio Romano reporting yesterday that Sadio Mane will leave Liverpool, for example. Mm. Um, and Bayern Munich is one of the mooted destinations for him. I find it much more plausible to imagine Gnabry turning up at Anfield, say, than the Emirates Stadium. But yeah. we shall see. But no, that's not one that I'm... Uh, sort of, you know, keeping tabs on closely. And can can we go mental if he goes to Liverpool? Even yeah, if, uh, if he goes to Liverpool, Arsenal would be, let him slip through their fingers Arsenal once again. miss out on top transfer. I mean, Arsenal are, we even, are we even interested? I mean, we could be, we should be. I mean, he, he is a great player, but I just, you know, I just don't see it for all the reasons we've been talking about, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, shall we do another one? Um, yeah, what about this one? Okay. Um, Ola Asmal says, me a few months ago, I bet Nketiah will score a few goals now and they give him a way too expensive contract. Should we not plan something like that beforehand and not give new contracts on a whim? The usual mistakes. Hmm. Well, what I would say is that they've wanted Eddie to sign a new contract for a while, right? Like oh, this- they've been very consistent on that. I yeah. Mean- and publicly, I guess the only difference maybe is obviously the amount of money involved. And, mm. you know, when we did the live pod, um, yeah. we had a question about Eddie's uh, and Bakayo's agent. Yes. And, I mean, while an agent can be tricky for a club to deal with, when they get what their clients want, you do a sort of 
you know, have to reluctantly applaud it. And in in this particular case, I mean, they've played this situation pretty much to perfection. Well, I mean, maybe the only whim is is Eddie, after getting some playing time, being yeah. convinced that he might get more playing time. And I think that's that's probably been part of the the negotiations and everything else. Um he was it was really interesting. I hadn't really thought about this, but a few weeks ago I was chatting to somebody in the industry and they said to me, Eddie's next contract, I can't remember if I said this on here, will be incredibly lucrative. Um wherever he goes. And I think I don't know if it's true, this hundred K figure that we've seen reported, but it wouldn't blow my mind because he had effectively got himself to the point where he was kind of a Bosman, you know, he was mm. kind of a free transfer for some clubs. Um, and I guess if Arsenal wanted him to stay, they would have had to, if not match that, certainly made a very financially compelling offer. Um, and, I, and I guess the, the, the equation for Arsenal will have been what it costs to keep Eddie in wages over the next five years versus what it costs to buy someone like Eddie with the transfer fee plus the wages. And they will probably st still have thought there was value in that contract. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of it, I'm sure. Um, because the £100,000 a week figure, I suspect, is inclusive of whatever signing on fee he got. Like I don't, I would be really, really surprised if Eddie's contract or his basic wage is a hundred grand a week. But if you take into account the signing on fee that he would have got at any other club that he went to, plus his basic wage, it comes out at you know over the course of his contract worth something in the region of that. But then you talk yeah. about you know the money that it would take to uh, to sign a player. Um, and I don't know who, like, an equivalent sort of signing might be. Who is the guy that Leicester signed? And everyone went, oh, we should be signing him. Patson Dacker. Patson Dacker. How much did they pay for him? I uh, let's have a look. A decent chunk of change. 22 million quid. Right. So 20 Plus a five-year deal. Yeah. So he got five goals in the Premier League last season, five in the Europa League and one in the Conference League for 11 goals in total. That's basically yeah. what Eddie got, um, five in the Premier League. I think he would five in the EFL Cup. So that's 10 goals. So there's, you know, an outlay of... Um, and look, I'm not saying these are the, the same player or, you know... I'm no, not similar ages, I'm just though, talking about that profile of a striker that you're getting in from a club. Where did he play beforehand? He was playing, uh, was it Red Bull? Salzburg, Salzburg Austria, yeah. yeah. So you're buying a, a, a striker from the Austrian league for £22 million. You're going to pay him at least that, what you're paying Eddie. So your total outlay is... It's double, basically. It's so double base, yeah. Eddie's deal, if it is 100k all in over five years, it would cost you about 25 million quid, mm. basically. So, so yeah, it's half the budgetary allocation to do this deal mm. than it is to buy an equivalent. Now, you know, people may feel Eddie's not good enough, and that's sort of a separate decision, but clearly Arteta 
and Edu think he is, and have thought that pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is now he's gone from having um, zero value to some kind of transfer value. If well, that's a, a, year a big or component, surely, two, as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Because everything we make on Eddie eventually is profit, right, essentially, because he's an academy player. Mm. Um, so giving him a new contract protects all that investment in his development. And, you know, as an English striker from a big club, mm. if and when he does leave the club, you would expect a decent return and, and a five-year contract, which is what's been reported, gives the club, you know, a good measure of protection yeah. on that front over the next few years. So, I mean, when we spoke last week, I said I had a feeling he would stay um, and I'm not too surprised that he has. And I think that I suppose what it does is it hopefully means that Arsenal have resource to strengthen, um, you know, to make other additions alongside yeah, uh, keeping him. No doubt, those are questions that we'll come to over the over the course of the, the the next few weeks. I don't want to delve too heavily into the transfer stuff at this point because there's not much new anyway. Still Tielemann, still Gabriel Jesus, um, and whatever else is going on behind the scenes. But we'll 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 have plenty of time for that one. Here's one from where is it? Uh, Lil Moosey thirteen on the Discord. Goodly morning. What do you make of Shad Forsyth leaving? I remember him joining amid a spate of muscular injuries in the Wenger days, and now he leaves after a season also afflicted by many muscular injuries. Is this an area where Arsenal can improve? Um, yeah, I mean, some interesting context here is that I saw... Uh, who put these numbers out? I think it was Ben Dinnery, um, who is an injury analyst. Uh he put out the total number of days that each Premier League team had players absent for. Right. At Arsenal's was um, a total of 583, which was the second best record in the league. Only Crystal Palace had players absent for less time. Wow. Collectively. Um, so I, I do think that's a, an important counterpoint sort of to the question. I'm not sure our injury record was as bad as uh, we might feel it was. I think we lost some important players mm. to muscular injuries uh, for long periods, but in general, the health of the squad was pretty good, helped no doubt by a pretty straightforward fixture schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like somebody like Thomas Partey say, I feel like a, a few years, a couple of years into his time with Arsenal, we can begin to see that he's kind of an exceptional case, that he is someone who, you know, physically is always going to maybe have issues um, with the Premier League. Mm. Uh, and it's difficult to lay the blame for that at any one physio's door. Sure. I, I was slightly surprised to see Shad Forsyth go only because when Mikel Arteta came in, um, he he sort of, you know, made Shad quite uh, prominent within his backroom team. Because mm. there was a time, I don't know if you remember, where like Darren Burgess and Shad Forsyth were at the club together. Yeah. And Shad was kind of playing second fiddle there a little bit, uh, I think it's fair to say. And then Darren left and Shad had more control. He worked really closely with Gary O'Driscoll and they and Mikel have been a really tight unit on the mm. medical side so 
I, I do wonder if this is just a case of change and wanting to stay fresh and bring in different dynamics and um, you know, stay at the forefront and keep everybody on their toes. I don't know. I haven't heard anything specific that's made me think, oh, and that's why Shad's contract wasn't renewed and why he had to be shown the door. Yeah. My, my impression, and this is, again, this is me making an informed guess, maybe that it's just about keeping moving forward, bringing some freshness into the group. Um, mm. Because, you know, the majority of the coaching staff are sticking around. And I think it's good to have new voices in that conversation. I don't know, though. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. It is. I mean, I think you could be right there. There's also the idea that, like, when a guy's contract is up and you don't renew it, there is maybe a sense that you're looking for something different or or perhaps something better, that you're looking mm -hmm. for an improvement, you're looking for, um, you know, not making uh, casting any aspersions on the work that he's done because um, – you know, I, I, I'm not informed enough anyway, and I do think that there has been, since he arrived, uh, a marked improvement in in fitness levels and, and all that kind of stuff. But it just seems like a natural segue into something else. If you were thinking of it and the guy's contract is up, it's just the easiest time to say goodbye and go in a different direction, you know? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, he was someone who was there, I guess, I mean, Mikel, I think, knew him. Maybe there was just, there might even have been an overlap when, from his playing days. Um, but, you know, he, he kind of inherited Shad as a manager. Mm. And maybe there's someone he's got in mind who, you know, he's wanted for a while, who's becoming available, someone he's worked with previously. That's the other thing to consider here is who's coming in. Uh, mm. And maybe between Mikel and Edu, they have had an idea for some time of someone they want, and now is just the appropriate moment to do it. So it'll be interesting to see the appointment that, that's made there. Mm. He joined Arsenal in 2014, so there would have been some yeah, um, uh, overlap when Mikel Arteta was playing. And, and, you know, the last couple of years of Mikel Arteta's playing career were blighted by by injury and what have you. So I'm sure he knows him uh, pretty well from having spent time there. So yeah, be interesting to see, to see what happens um, and who happens if you like. Um, yeah. And football's, you know, football's a, a funny business. People have contracts there. I mean, that's a good long stint at a club for any member of yeah. staff. Um, so I don't think there's anything particularly sort of controversial about parties going their separate ways at this point. Um, if anything, I think probably Shad, has done very well to remain in the post, especially through managerial changes. Mm. Um, I've got a question. Okay. It's from uh, Egg Burton on the Discord. And Egg Burton says, Goodly morning, gents. What do you think the plan is for Reese Nelson? He's had a decent loan spell, and we'd all like another player for the right wing once Pepe leaves. But is he the guy? If he isn't the guy, I can't see him staying. A spare minutes in the Europa and Carabao. Pardon me. You all right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, ask that again. I'll ask that again. If he isn't the guy, I can't see him staying. A spare minutes in Europa and Carabao will likely go to the new Brazilian kid. Um, and I think we had a similar question on the on Twitter. Charlie, Charlie Morrell said, Good morning, gents. What do you think is next for Reese Nelson? Given Pepe's role, could he possibly take that role in the squad? Um, well... That's if we get this Brazilian kid. Um, well, that's an interesting one in itself. Yeah, yeah. seeing as he, he apparently signed a pre-contract agreement with Wolves. Whether or not that is in, enforceable in English law, I'm not 
Sure. Well, uh, that is the that is as I understand it, the situation a pre-contract uh, in England and Wales. Although we see it talked about in the media, does not exist. It's either a contract or it's not. Um, what the vagaries of sort of Brazilian law permit, and whether or not that would be upheld by FIFA. Yeah. I have absolutely no idea. My strong suspicion is this player will end up with Arsenal because ultimately that's what happens, right? Yeah. Players decide where they want to go. It's just a question of um, how much wrangling and how legal it might get before mm. that happens. And I tell you, Arsenal will probably be desperate to avoid that because it will drag and it will be probably as expensive as just sort of, I don't, I don't know, even if they chuck some compensation in Wolves' direction. I, I think, yeah. you know, they'll want to just clean this up. Exactly. Um, we don't need sagas this early in the summer. We've got, we've got to prepare ourselves for the proper twists and turns of a, a transfer yeah. saga. And, yeah, it strikes me that this is one where, where probably there's a – you know, an agreement is found between the two clubs for it to yeah. to go away, unless they see it as a real point of principle. But ultimately, the one who who will suffer in that scenario is is the player who might be left in limbo and and what have you. So and that, that that rarely happens. Yeah, you know, the players get what they want. I mean, it sounds like I mean, Wolves, from what I uh, understand, Wolves felt they had the player, um, and then Arsenal came in and that changed so it will all hinge on what wolves had or have mm. you know be that in writing be it if you know it might be a verbal agreement in which case it's probably not worth anything yeah um so it will depend on what wolves have up their sleeve but i think we will get the player it just might be a a bit of a protracted process, yeah. unfortunately. Um, yeah, and you don't want it to be protracted if you want to get him in and give him pre-season and see what he's like and see how ready he is for... Yeah, um, which is know. the plan. You know, I, I don't think it's... Wolves um, were going to send him out on loan and had already <laughs> already looked into that as a possibility because they were so confident of getting him. I think with Arsenal, they're a bit more... You know, after the Martinelli experience, there's kind of an attitude of, well... Let's see what, what we've got mm. before we make any decisions. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's cup games, there's Europa League group stages, um, plenty of early season playing time for him anyway. Um, but so what does all that mean what for Reese Nelson? What does it mean Nelson? for Reese Nelson? Good question. What's he got, a year left on his contract at Arsenal? I think he ended well. He ended his loan spell well at Feyenoord. And, yes, he did, after um, a difficult start. A difficult start, and I was. It was interesting um, listening to him talk. Was it him? I think last week talking about things like diet and and stuff like that. Yeah, he did a good interview with uh, Art Deroche. That's um, what it was. Yeah, the Athletic, and, yeah. and talking about diet and and um, you know it's small things that can make a difference in a player's career. And when it's as competitive as it is at youth level, I know it's. I know it's. Um, difficult for these guys to avoid a cheeky Nando's, even if it might might be the most overrated chicken on the fucking planet. But they love it, you know. But is it the best thing for your for your fitness, for your conditioning, yeah. all that kind of stuff? And, and Smith and Rowe, yeah. This season as well, didn't yeah. he? You know? And I, I read an interview with, um, with Martinelli recently as well. I think it might have been in 442, yeah. where he talked about 
learning to cook for himself, but having his own chef um, and things like that, which is, you know, part and parcel of what he's doing to make sure that he's as ready as, as he can possibly be. But I just think maybe with Reese Nelson, I think his race was pretty much run. He should have gone on loan, not last season, the season before that, where he barely played at all. And I think he missed a really key year of development, um, which is probably why his loan spell at Feyenoord started as slowly as it did. Mm. Um, he was I, playing catch-up to a He was extent, playing a lot right. of catch-up. And I just don't know if at this point that catch-up is, is sufficient to, to be at Arsenal. Um, a year left, English... His stock has risen a bit in the last few months. It strikes me that probably the best thing for the club is to to get a transfer fee for an academy player and for him to go somewhere where he is going to play every week, whether he's abroad or whether he's in the lower reaches of the Premier League or even in the Championship. I don't quite know, but at this point in, in his career, he's got to play week in, week out, and he's not going to do that at Arsenal. He could be perhaps reasonable backup for Saka or take some of the burden off Saka, but I, I just don't see a future. I mean, I, I could be wrong. Um, you can't say definitively really about uh, anything in football these days because uh, players can come back and surprise you. We've seen it with Enkedia, with El Neni as well, to an extent. Mm. Like, you can't, you can't completely shut the door, but um, I think... For his own sake, he should be looking elsewhere. Yeah, I think so too, probably. I mean, I think the question is right. There could be a spot on that right-hand side opening up. Um, it's so funny, you know, <laughs> Arsenal uh, in the past few days have, it's been the birthday of both Nicola Pepe and Alex Lacazette. And so their Instagram account has like, you know, put up a big picture of them and the caption has been happy birthday. And in both instances, I've sort of half thought it was going to be an announcement about them leaving the club. Um, I, I I think he will go mm. and it will create a spot for somebody. But yeah, I'm not sure it should be Reese Nelson. I think he should go and play somewhere. I mean, he'll be looking at what Eddie's done this season and thinking, you know, could I do the same if I get my chance? Could I win a long-term contract? But when you look at the, the options we already have in wide areas, mm. people like Martinelli, Saka, Smith-Rowe, it's a very different situation to the one Eddie found himself in, competing with two you know, strikers who are, are in and around 30 years old and, and yeah. on the way out of the club. Um, so I, I think he probably will go. And, I, and one thing I would say, actually, we all know Arsenal don't sell well and it's something that they must address. But... Um, I think in the past kind of 12 to 18 months, we have seen some better use of the loan market in terms of mm. benefiting players, both in their development and in terms of their value. I mean, ultimately, you know, risks going to Feyenoord, I think has been a, a really good thing for him, although he started not too well. He's finished very well, and I think it will have done him some credit and hopefully attracted some interest from elsewhere. Um, and I think there are a number of others who you could potentially say that about. Mm. All right. Well, look, we have got to the uh, halfway mark in this particular podcast. So what we're going to do is take a little break. We've got more of your questions and more 
I don't know what else. We've just got your questions. Mainly questions, I think. Mainly questions. Some answers, perhaps. You never know. We'll do our best. We'll be right back after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. I'm going to go first. And given that it is the start of the transfer window, we had this one from Dazzy Pepper, who said, it's that time of the year. What are your predictions for transfer outlay, income, and net spend? So I'm thinking, like, what's what's the what's the list of players who we who might leave? And I've got these here who we might sell, um, and what we think we might generate from those. So I'll go from the top. We'll go through it quite quickly. Burned Leno. I think he, he we we know he's going to go because we've got Matt Turner and Aaron Ramsdale now. So Burned Leno's going to go. How much do you think we'll get for him? A year left on his deal. A year left on his deal. Um, not very much. <laughs> I think maybe. Oh, I mean, I've seen eight point five million reported, and I would be surprised if it was that much. Wow! Personally. Do you think he's going to go back to 
Germany or would he stay in England? Because that would then have an impact on the the, the transfer. Problem you've field. got is he's a year away from going for free and all the rewards that come with that. And I think his place in the German World Cup squad is probably gone at this point. I mean, mm. Kevin Trapp, who was his big rival, just won the Europa League, saving the crucial penalty, um, and is playing very well and playing every week. I mean, he could get it back, I guess. But I think you might have a player there who's not... Um, not pushing to get out. Um, mm. So I will say that we'll get six million for Bernd Leno. Six million of your great English guineas. Yeah, let's call him guineas. Yeah. All right. I was. I thought we might get a little more, depending on who was interested. Well, we might. An English I club. might be wrong. Um, you know, I think twelve to fifteen million for a player of his experience. Wouldn't be unreasonable, but of course it, it requires somebody to want to pay that. Um, Nicholas Pepe, the, this is the difficult one. I think fifteen million. Fifteen million. I was going to say, yeah, seventeen. So we're there, thereabouts. Yeah. Reese Nelson. We just talked about him. I think. Yeah. Uh, as absurd as it sounds, I've got him more than Bern Leno. I've got him at seven. I would say five. If we got five okay. for Reese Nelson, we'd be doing very well. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, back from uh, Rome. I've got that seven as well. I'm going to go for nine. Okay. I think maybe someone like Everton could be silly enough. I mean, that's a loan that hasn't gone well. Yeah. No, it didn't at say. all. On any level. Because, you know, without wanting to go over it all again, we probably could have used him ourselves. So you said seven. Hector Bellerin, uh, who is... Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah. Another one, a year out. A year out. Uh, a year out. <sighs> Would like to go to Betis. Betis haven't got any money. Awkward one. I mean, all these players, that, you know, by the way, I, I'm not saying I think Bern Leno's only worth six million quid. I think he's top goalie. I think he's worth a lot more. Mm. But I'm thinking <laughs> I'm burnt by summer's past. I'm trying to be realistic. Yes, um, burned by burned. What do you think on Bellerin? I think I might need your help to contextualise this I, one. I, I have a feeling that this is one of those that we will facilitate Yeah. Um, to the extent that I guess there's a, a fairly big financial disparity in terms of wages between Betis and Arsenal and also what they can afford to pay. So I think, you know, something like 3 million or whatever would be about as much as we'll get for Bellerin really if he wet. goes to Betis. I'll go higher than that. I'll go eight. Eight million you think we'll get from Betis? Like, I don't know, uh, Spanish football experts could tell me um, better, you know, what their financial firepower is. Can I just say something uh, on this? I think it's an interesting point because obviously this all sounds crap, doesn't it? Like, this all sounds like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is terrible. But I read an interesting piece about Spurs the other day 
And it was talking about how this summer Spurs are prepared to, so, you know, they've had this influx of cash and can't they stay? It's all about, you know, all, all good news stuff. Mm. And one of the big changes they're preparing to make at Spurs, according to this report, was that they are now going to let squad players leave for lower fees than they've previously demanded. And the sort of the rhetoric was like Tottenham have learned from their previous mistakes of attempting to holding on to value for players and attempting to sell them at a predetermined price and then being stuck with players they didn't really want. And now essentially Hmm. they're going to let people go below value. And it was just so interesting to read that point of view because I was like, that's what we do all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I don't, I honestly don't know the merits like, I don't know what's better. Is it better to hold on to somebody if, if the bid doesn't arrive? Or is it better to cut your losses if they're not part of the future and accept what the market will give you? Uh, but, well, I think the second, really. Yeah. You know, we we all have figures in our mind what we think a player is worth. Um, but there are market forces that you have to deal with. And, I, you know... I, th- I think it's fair to say that Arsenal need to sell better and be better at selling. But when you're trying to sell, I'm looking at Leno, Nelson, Maitland-Niles, Bellerin, Torreira, all with a year left on their deals, and yeah. that is a factor that you have to contend with and and that you're going to have to that you're going to have to deal with. I just took a quick look at, at uh, Real Betis and what they did in the transfer market last summer, and they spent a grand total of three point one five million. Pounds, mm. um, on well, a, I've got on them a, spending nearly three times yeah, that. On um, a guy from Fiorentina. However, so far this season, they have signed Willian Jose from uh, Real Sociedad for $7.65 million, and Luis Henrique uh, from Fluminense um, for $11.34 million. So they've already coughed up about $18 million. So it suggests that they do they're have... They're in Europe, right? They won the cup. Did that get them into Europe of some description? I, sh- I don't know. Yeah. They won a cup, didn't they? Yeah, didn't they win the Copa del Rey? Yes. So maybe they have a few. Um, maybe they have- I'm sticking to my eight for Bellerin. I think it might be ambitious, but then I think I've gone low on on some others. So right. I think we'll I'll end up in the right sort of ballpark. Okay. I, I suppose just what I'm saying is, although these all sound like terrible fees, basically none of these players are in the plans. So they've got to go. Mm. And uh, yeah, and the volume of players kind of adds up to. Well, this is the thing. A, Even though we're predicting small numbers, it's yeah. a decent chunk if it all comes in. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it could get you a good player, a good player. We need to get more than one, obviously. So but, who's you know. who's next after Hector? Is that it? No, no, Lucas Torreira, who again was um, it looked like he was going to go to Fiorentina, and then they reneged or they changed some of the. Some of the deals, I don't know if it's a negotiation um, with the player. They're trying to drive down the fee with Arsenal, whatever it is. But I think he said something about it last week. Um, and that one looked like it was going to go for about 15 million, 12 to 15 million. And yeah. now we don't quite know, but... Maybe 10, I'll say. 10 million? Mm, yeah. Okay. I will say I'm going to go with eight, eight, okay. something like that. Pablo Marie? Five. Five million. Yeah. No, you think I'm in dreamland? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just in my own head. I'm going to say three million for Pablo. You're trying Marie. to imagine someone paying five million. Yeah, for Pablo Marie. Um, maybe I'm. You see, uh, 
my sense, uh, whether it's correct or not, is that the Premier League is becoming more of its own private yeah, island when it comes to transfers. And that out there in Europe, there is money, but not pre-pandemic money. And You're absolutely right. This is the problem Arsenal have. Yeah. They're trying to sell players to a continent that is basically skin. And actually, this is why there's a value, I always think, in buying English players because when it comes to sell them, generally there are takers at a better value. Yeah. Um, are we counting any Genduzi money from this summer or are we saying that's last summer's deal? Well, it was last summer's deal, but it's this summer's money. They pay they pay 10 million. So um, yeah. 10 million plus the 1 million loan fee from last year. So that's another 10 million. So just I'll use your figures and you've gone... Um, 15 and 6, 21, 28, uh, 35, 45, 53, 58, plus Genduzis. That's 68, 68 mm. million incoming. And, and that's, that's without assuming- the 30 million for Saliba. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now I, I everyone's mean, furious, I, I genuinely, <laughs> I can't. I don't know what's going to happen there. But, but I'm happy with, I mean... The thing is, although those fees all sound mm, low rubbish to yeah. a certain extent to us in terms of how we value those players, if we end up with 60 million quid coming in for getting shot of a load of guys who aren't in the plans anyway, mm. I will be happy with that. And look, there would be a couple of uh, players, when you think about the fact that Aubameyang is gone, Lacazette yeah. is gone, Pepe is going to go, I think there are some fairly substantial numbers coming off the wage bill as well, yeah. which might. I think Arsenal's them. obligations to Aubameyang end um, this summer. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the deal they worked out with Barca, and I think obviously Lacazette looks like he's going to go. Yeah. So yeah, that will free up some money. I mean, where were you? Were you sort of a fraction less than me? Uh, a little bit less. Well, I went a bit bigger on the Leno thing, so I think it's more or less the same. I'll tell you, mine is. A... I said 17, so 22, 27, 38, 41, 49, and 52 is where I ended up, and you were 58. I mean, the thing is, although all our guesses sound conservative, I will still be quite surprised if Arsenal bring in that much money this summer, Mm. just because I'm not sure it's out there. That that, uh, and also because I've got so little faith in our <clears throat> selling, I guess. Yeah, I mean they they we get this wrong every summer. Basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, we do. But maybe this is the summer where they surprise us and and show us that they've got some chops in this maybe. side of things. I don't think what we're asking for in terms of those numbers is. I think people will be shouting at us, listening about how cheap we've sold some of these players. But I, yeah. you know, we're trying to be realistic. Yeah, and also we're not businessmen. We're just two idiots doing a podcast so well that's you know. true yeah that's also true yeah um what about incoming yeah so let's imagine let's imagine that um yuri telemans and um gabriel jesus both yeah. of whom by the way have a year left on their contract and yeah, are going so they to should be about what five million three million each, million each yeah yeah <laughs> It's funny how it works the other way around. 
It's funny how it works when the player is good. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> and also no. playing for an English club and being signed by another English club. It's it's a transfer between English clubs and players who still are clearly a big part of the plans. Mm. You know, I don't mean to be unkind to any of that that previous list, but there are different criteria here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're we're probably looking at something like minimum forty for Gabriel Jesus, based mm. on the figures that that City are quoting. Maybe, maybe they do us a favor. You know, kind-hearted. Oh, um, why not? I mean, they don't need the money. No, no, no. They can just they can just give it away. But you know, forty million, and you're looking at what twenty to twenty-five, maybe for. For Tielemans? Would that be 25, right? 25, yeah. I've got 25 written down. So let, let's say on the minimum side of that, that's 60. So we've got rid of all our chaff for 68 million. We've spent 60 on these two guys, yeah, giving us a whopping 8 million to play around with um, on top of whatever else we can, um, we can use or that the owners will make available to the manager. Yeah. And, you know, it's fair to say that we do need more than two players because, you know, we're just getting rid of a load and uh, the squad is small enough as it is. So we are going to have to spend a bit more on who, in what positions, remains to be seen. But I think we probably need, would you say, another three players on top of the Uh, the two? hmm. Don't know if I'd go as far as that. Centre forward, striker. Uh, sorry, that's the same thing. It is. Centre exactly. forward, centre midfield. I still think we, we might buy centre back because it's something we love to do. Um, and then maybe somebody if Pepe goes. Well, there's the the young Brazilian that we we spoke about. So yeah, uh, yeah, but if he turns up and he's he's not what he's not up to the level. Then, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to be exact about this because a lot depends on things like that. And there are things like, you know, do we loan out um, certain younger players or do we keep them in the squad? I think we'll spend 110 million. Right. Okay. That's a good figure. Yeah. I'm sort of thinking 60 million on forwards. Might be one, might be two. Mm. Like if we don't get Jesus, if he goes elsewhere, then a lot of the other ones we're talking about are more expensive probably even than him. Um, Then I'm thinking Tielemans or similar, about 25 million. That takes you to about 85. And then 25 left for something else. Um, Right. I'm just looking at the squad. I mean, if Lacazette go goes, or you know, when Lacazette goes, and if Pepe mm. is sold, mm. based on what we've got in the squad right now, we have 17 outfield players. I'll just recount. So we've got seven defenders as it is. One, two, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I think I just counted wrong. Um, we need more than two players. I think we need another three to really give the squad some depth. When you say another three, what do you mean? Do you mean 
five total. I think we need five signings, and I mean, not necessarily including that young Brazilian guy in that, even though he's or Matt Turner, including Matt Turner. No, no. So, I mean, as as it would stand, if Lacazette and Pepe went, they're classified as forwards. Yeah, uh, I, I think if Pepe website. goes, he'll be replaced by an, a new signing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, and I don't think it'll be Marquinhos. That's mm. my opinion. All right, so we're looking at like a total spend of one hundred and yeah, I'm going to say one hundred and twenty total okay. spend, one hundred one hundred and twenty-three million. I will say as total spend, I'm a little bit less than you on the incoming. So we've got a net spend of about seventy. Is that right? Mm-hmm. There, thereabouts, sixty to seventy. All right. Yeah. That doesn't sound completely unrealistic to me. No, so. bear in mind, we were bidding for players in January. Um, big money as well for a guy, anything. yeah. Big money for for a striker big money in January. For Lovic, yeah, um, we were bidding about fifteen, mm. twenty million for a, a centre half as well at that time. Mm. Schlotterbeck, who went to Dortmund. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't think that's unrealistic at all. And also, we've got some European revenue to come. Mm-hmm. Fans are back in stadiums. Sure. Things look a bit healthier financially. Um, so I don't think I don't think it's beyond question that we'd spend that kind of money. I don't think it's beyond question that we'd spend the kind of money we spent last summer. To be honest, yeah. but we shall see. We shall see. Okay. Well, look, uh, as ever, nobody should um, make any wagers or bets based on our predictions on anything. No. We're always wrong. We're always completely and utterly wrong. It just is a question of by how much. Um, and, and the thing is about football, like transfers are mad. Like it is so difficult to ascribe mm. a number to a player. Like it, it feels in some respects so abstract, I guess because it all comes down to what the selling club is prepared to accept. You know, mm. a situation like Gabriel Jesus is distorted by the fact that Man City have no need to sell that player. Mm. Um. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird old it's a weird old business. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question that's sort of um, slightly um, in line with that, and it's from the Discord from just some guy. Sounds just mis- some guy, just mysterious. He says, uh, "Do you think that Mikel Arteta is an attraction for an incoming player compared to other managers at the top of the European leagues?" I thought that Good was question. an interesting question. Yeah. It depends who for. Like, um, the kind of players we were signing last summer. So, younger guys, mm. uh, earlier in their careers, I have no doubt that conversations with Arteta would have been a very compelling factor in their decisions. Um, and even someone like Martin Odegaard, who was coming from Real Madrid, but who had worked with Arteta, yeah. I think he would have been a big factor in his choice. I think if you're like a established star, your prime, um, does he hold the same kind of sway, the same kind of allure, given that he's at the very outset of his career? Probably not, you'd have mm. to say. How much do you think it really matters when it comes to, in inverted commas, top clubs anyway? Because, look, I think 
you could say for sure that there were players who looked at Arsenal when Arsene Wenger was in charge and thought, that's a fucking club I want to go to. Uh, it's Arsenal, but it's also Wenger. And I've seen what he's done for the careers of some some players um, and how he's brought them success and developed them and, and all that kind of stuff. But when you get into the realms of a top club, most top clubs have a top manager anyway. So which is the bigger draw? Is it the club itself or the manager? And it's probably more the club, I think. Maybe it goes hand in hand. If you're you know, a top club with a top manager, it just becomes easy. Um, I think that the greatest kind of ace Arsenal have in their hand is London to be honest, mm. for, especially for a foreign player. Like if you want to come to England, you want to come to London mm. um, far more so than you want to go. I mean, you know, that will be the challenge Newcastle face. I'm sure they'll find a way of getting around it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think London has massive appeal yeah. to footballers. Um, Arsenal are a big club, a historic club. They have a project that is clear and has, I think, will appeal to a certain profile of player. And I think, uh, listen, from what we know about Mikel Arteta, we've all watched his press conferences. I imagine if you get him one-on-one in a room with somebody, I imagine he's a very, very good salesman for what Arsenal are doing. Yeah. Um, But is he going to attract people on name value in the same way that I think you're absolutely right? People wanted, it was like an ambition of people to come and play for Wenger. I think, of course not. It would be kind of crazy if he did hold that kind of appeal. But then how many managers in world football truly have that? Right, I, You know, when Arsene had it and Ferguson had it, I'd say it was sort of a relatively unique thing. And I think at this point in time, certainly looking through the Premier League, I can imagine someone saying, I want to play for Klopp, I yeah. want to play for Pep. I yeah I I would say I would say that I don't know if players would be like I want to go play for Pep because I'd say he's a pain in the hole I'd say he's a pain right, in yeah. the fucking arse uh, in terms of what he wants and obviously what he does is not that it's unique but it's very specific and it's very hard work and you've got to learn and you you look at someone like Jack Grealish who will go I don't know did he really really enjoy his year, I mean, he talked about Guardiola in amazing. I saw an interview with him where he just said it's like it's unbelievable working with him. But I'd say it's hard, and I'm not saying it should be easy. But I wonder if there's more. If you're a creative player, if you prefer that kind of little bit of a little bit more freedom in the way you're allowed play the game, rather than having to learn by rote the positions and the movements of Pep's. Football chess, if you know what I mean. Mm. But look, look, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he is an attraction for players. I, you know, on a personal level, if I was a player and I had the chance to play for Klopp or Pep, I would choose Klopp. I think. I mean, I, I suppose what's interesting is looking through the league. You're like, who else has that? And actually, I mean, the one you would say maybe does is possibly Antonio Conte. I mean, you know, he certainly has an aura and a reputation. Um, mm. as much as we may not like it. Um, and, I, you know, I think with players in Italy and Serie A, he'll hold a lot of sway. Sure. But that's, you know, when you appoint an experienced manager, I guess that's part of the challenge that you yeah. face. And I'm not sure it's an obstacle. I'll put it like that. I, I can't see... 
I don't think Arteta's inexperience is an obstacle to players joining. I think there's enough else that's appealing about Arsenal, the Premier League, the financial package, London, the project, mm. club, that I still think we're in a position to land. You know, the, uh, um, I, the, the final point on this uh, before you get to ask a question, I would just say as well that players talk, players talk among themselves, and yeah. pretty much every player who is at Arsenal now will talk in glowing terms about Mikel Arteta and the work that he does and and what goes on there. So I think that's part of the the sell, if you like, to That's true. Potential. I guess it depends who you ask, though, doesn't yeah. it, if you ask Tag and Doozy? No, no, well, that's what I said. I said specifically players who are at Arsenal right now because yeah. I'm sure there are some who aren't, who won't um, have enjoyed their time under Mikel Arteta for one reason or the other, but that's... Um, you know, there's probably a reason why they're not at the club right now. So, um, yeah. Interesting question, though. Yeah. Um, DJ Nolan on the Discord says, non-football question, who drank the most last weekend when you and the Arsenal Vision boys got together? Elliot. It was Elliot. Oh, it was, it was Elliot, Elliot Smith. Elliot, <laughs> Elliot all the way. He is the Champions League winner of drinking his face off at yeah. the weekend and you know invincible uh, he look four nights undefeated the man has got some stamina i'll give him yeah. that nobody nobody could accuse him of being a lightweight that is for sure incredible um, effort on yeah. his part yeah 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 i i um i suspect he felt it this week i got back can't home. imagine what sort of condition he is in um but yeah fair play he fucking went all in um <laughs> He really did. All uh, or nothing. That's, all he's or doing nothing. his own DVD. <laughs> Have you got another one or do you want me to ask uh, Yeah, one? I've got another one. Go on. This is from Sebja. Sebja on the Discord. And Sebja says, Morning. Do you have any unusual formations or positions for players you would like Arteta to test out during pre-season? For example, I'd like to see Saka in the left eight role. He played there very briefly against Tottenham and looked good. His talent, strength and ability to turn sometimes wasted on the wings if we're struggling in midfield. I think I've said that before, that I, I, I fancy Saka to develop into a player who is used more centrally than just on one wing mm -hmm. um, because I think he's got the ability to, to do it. So, yeah, that's, that's one that I would have no problem um, with, even if, you know, obviously I think right now he is our first choice, um, our first choice right forward if you like um mm -hmm. are there any others um, i i go on i think maybe smith row more Where? central than left interesting again another one who i think has the the ability to do it but maybe would need a bit of playing time in there um Beyond that, I I'd like to see Smithrow. I would like to see the Smithrow false nine thing. I'm one of the few, probably right. after that Villarreal game. But it's just it's, it's sort of Arteta's alluded to it as an option a few times, um, and so I would just like to see it in practice in preseason and see mm. if there's something in it. I mean, Manchester City made such a success of that style, and when you look at the kind of collection of attacking players we have that ability for like a very mobile front yeah. line, fluid positions interchanging. You know, we do have the potential there. He, he does have um, good timing, doesn't he, in, in the box, Smith Rowe? Good Rowan. timing, yeah, good finishing. He has that sort of slight Gundogan-y instinct for popping up in the right place. 
So I would be curious to see that rather than it just be a kind of a notion. And and I would probably mm. also file Martinelli through the middle in yeah. that as well. You know, we've seen that under Unai Emery a few times and it looked quite impressive. And I'd be curious to go back to that and sure. see what that opens up. I, I guess both of those ideas enable us to get um, Saka, Smith-Rowe and Martinelli on the pitch in advanced positions. And mm. I think that's something we need to kind of try and figure out a way to do if we can. Mm. I, I am uh, curious about sort of the centre-backs and how we, if Saliba stays, how we integrate him. Mm. But I, I don't necessarily see that going to a back three simply because... I'm not sure we quite have the wing backs, particularly on the right hand side. Um, I think it would require an addition really to make sense of a sort of right wing back position in this team. But I do wonder if we'll see more of um kind of regardless of what happens, I'd be curious to see more of Ben White at right back sometimes. Just me. Well, yeah, I mean if if the yeah. Yeah, it's an alternative to what we have right now, you know. It feels more Tommy Asu-esque, if that makes yeah, sense. Exactly. And if you've got the depth at centre half where you can move Ben White, then certainly I'd be I'd be in, in favour of that. I don't think we'll play with a conventional back three, but if we continue to play with kind of a, a right back who's more of a kind of tucked in mm. um, third centre half at times, uh, then, you know, a, a unit of Gabriel White and one other, if Tommy Asu is not available... Or, you know, mm. has potential, but we'll see. Um, Mikael Broberg, who's at Broberg Mikael. I think I know what your answer to this one is going to be. He says, unpopular opinion, which uh, I think this is definitely going to be. He said, I think Arsenal should accept a reasonable uh, reasonable bid for Smith-Rowe this summer. His fitness worries me and makes me think of Wilshire's fate. I know he's young and still developing and homegrown, but I have doubts about his future. What do you guys think? I think, no, let's not do that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I understand the sort of concerns over the physicality, but what I would say is even with that and even with not starting a lot of the games, look what he produced this season. Mm. And um, while I don't think the rate at which he was scoring in the first half of the season is, is sustainable, you know, there was a, a touch of the Joe Willocks about that run at times. I still think... He, when you look at what he's done in the 18 months since he burst onto the scene properly at Premier League level, he's really made a massive contribution. You know, we fought to keep him last summer. There was interest from Aston Villa. Mm. Um, you know, if somebody knocked on our door with an absurd offer, then it's a different conversation. But the question says we should accept, we should, you know, a take reasonable an, offer, a reasonable fee. No. I'm afraid I can't go. No, 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 no. He's done. He's done so well, and he's. You know, I think he. What we saw in the second half of the season was a player who was thrust into the limelight and thrust into first team football very quickly. Um, you know, we saw even in that run, um, the season before last, he did have some injury issues, and I think he's. I think he's gone through a spell where his body has really developed, and. He's had issues with injuries this season, but he's not away uh, with England. He's got some time off. He can rest, recuperate, get a good preseason under his belt. And I think the progress he made in terms of his all-round game and 
his contribution in front of goal is such that it would take something absolutely ludicrous for me to even think about it and definitely uh, not something just reasonable. So, Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, okay, what about this one? Um, Liam Hebbs on Twitter says, Morning, gents. What is your opinion on Arsenal rescinding season tickets if not utilised for more than 10 games, i.e. attending, selling on tickets change? I, for one, have been on the waiting list for seven years and counting and welcome this. However, I know current season ticket holders who do not agree. Is that uh, is that a thing? Yes, it is. So as of next season, um, if a season ticket is not utilised for 10 fixtures uh the holder will lose their right to it and and by utilizing you can sell it on the ticket exchange i believe you can transfer it to another membership um you do not have to attend yourself but it has to be in use um well that seems reasonable i isn't mean it, i don't i think isn't that completely reasonable yeah. i think so and like i'm sure that there are going to be exceptions for people who you know, there are going to be people who have circumstances which preclude them from going to games or, or whatever else. You know, there's always some kind of thing. I assume there'll be some kind of, um, uh, what's the word, consideration giving to special circumstances or yeah. whatever it might be. But yeah, I mean, look, I know the AST have been very, um, they've worked very hard to ensure that as many tickets are available, as many seats are filled for every single game. So... If it's a question of just putting it on the ticket exchange or transferring it to another member if you can't go or don't want to go and want to keep your ticket. I mean, if you don't want to go and you want to keep your ticket and you don't do any of those things, then you can't really have any complaints, can you? I mean, who are these people with these tickets that they're just not even using for 10 games? I wonder, is it people who've had tickets for a long time and maybe have moved away and just you know, want to keep, yeah, they want to keep their ticket, but you know, they can still keep their ticket. They just have to make sure that it's available, um, which seems perfectly fine. Assuming, of course, that the um, ticket exchange works as well as it should. Um, which I don't know whether it does or it doesn't. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I, I think this is a really good thing and part of, you know, I mean, there's been some really good work done on kind of the stadium and the atmosphere and more to come with renovations to the Emirates. Um but you know we we need those seats filled, and this mm. is a there are people on that season ticket waiting list, like the like the person asking the question, who mm. are desperate for the opportunity to get in there. So I think if tickets aren't being used, it's only right they sort of come back onto the market. All right, here is one from Discord from Loey one three three. He said, "How would you approach the absolute mess of fixtures that is next season?" <laughs> Uh, does he mean the Europa League? I guess so. I don't think he means just the Europa League. I suspect he means the great big fucking gap ah, in the middle with the you know big the hole World in Cup, the middle, where you know where where we should be sitting here right now, looking forward to a World Cup starting in a a week's time or a couple of weeks' time, and instead, it's happening in November for all the reasons that we we all know and understand, and that is going to play a big part in what happens next season. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, next season's going to feel weird. I'll tell you that now. Mm. And it's a bit of a shame really because we had some pretty weird seasons during the kind of pandemic era, the behind closed doors era, all the calendars were out of sync. 
And it just feels like we've had a campaign where everything sort of got back to normal and now we're about to fuck it all up again. Yeah. And it's needless. Um, well, it's not needless because it's literally too hot to play in that country in the summer. I get that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't like it. So um, we pause. The Premier League pauses on November the 13th after 16 rounds of games. And I just looked up the Europa League group stage. Um, this isn't definitive because it's on Wikipedia and any old cunt can edit things on there. But match day six of the group stage uh, of the Europa League is on the 3rd of November. Mm. So they're getting the group stage. I assume it's similar for the Champions League as well. The group stages of the European competitions will be completed before the World Cup takes place. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's really interesting about this scheduling is that the season starts really early. So we play, the opening weekend is always the 6th. Nottingham Forest away on Friday yeah. night. <laughs> Robin of Sherwood. Um, and one thing to bear in mind, obviously one of the things Arsenal suffered from was, you know, we didn't have our business done at the start of the season. And mm. the transfer deadline is not till the 1st of September. So... You know, we could have played a good few games uh, by then again. Mm. Um, I mean, if if you ask me, that's all a nonsense as well. The deadline should be before the season starts. It's mental that it's not. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so how do we deal with the chaos? I don't... I, I mean, honestly, I haven't got a clue. I mean, we, we're going to have a lot of players at the World Cup as well. That's another interesting thing. And one, I guess, a sign of improved recruitment and improved, improved progress. Um, I feel like there have been a few international tournaments yesterday where you've been scratching around for an Arsenal player to watch. I don't think that's going to be a, a, the case of the World Cup no. this year. There's going to be loads. I think double figures, probably. Wow. Um, so it, I, I know that Arsenal, as happy as they are to be back in Europe, are looking at the schedule for next season with all these factors contributing and thinking that it looks challenging physically. Um, and who knows, maybe that is again, why they're making a change on the kind of physio side, because they see this as a very different challenge that will require a different approach. It's interesting as well, because you assume naturally that when a player finishes an international tournament, they need a holiday, they need some time off or what have you. But given that this is in the middle of the season, it's just a look. It's not as simple as this, but it's a change of scenery rather than sort of more on the end of a season, if you like, um, which requires them to get some some rest. But yeah. hey, the World Cup final is December eighteenth, right? And if a player takes part in that, they will have eight days between that and the resumption of the Premier League. So the Premier League starts again on what the twenty sixth of December. Uh... I don't, I don't, yes, 26th Boxing Day. So it's gone from? It's gone from uh, 13th. 13th of November to December 26th. It's gone for, <sighs> a, well, yeah, five weeks, something like that. That's so fucking nuts. It, it, it is, is quite mad. I mean, what sort of state these players will be in come May, I do not know. And like, it's not as if, 
I mean, there's a lot of um, Nations League and World Cup qualifiers still going on. Yeah, so, like, some of the off. players. England have got, like... Four games. Yeah. It's mad. And then they'll be back for preseason, what, at the start of July? Because the first uh, game... When is the game in... Is the Baltimore game the first game? No. They, they come back... No, it's not. I think they go to Nuremberg. Um, right. But it's the 16th Germany. of July. So they might get two or three weeks off. That's all. And then they're going into a season with a World Cup and everything else. And the other challenge, I think, is, is um, you know, what do you do with the players who aren't at the World Cup, who are basically off yeah. for five weeks? And you could say, well, that's good because they can rest and they can shake off any injuries. But you want to be playing. You've got to, you know, part, what is it they call it? the conditioning side of things or whatever that like some players are need to play regularly to keep mm. their fitness levels high periodization. That's the thing. Um, yeah, and even, it, yeah even exactly. Just and also how does that, you know, I think there was a degree to which Arsenal, I'd love to sit down and have a chat with Arsenal about how they managed Gabriel Martinelli across this season, because when you look at back at his involvement in games, I feel like there was a sort of strategic element to the way and the times at which he was used. So he mm. was not used very much in the start of the season. And then as, um, of course, the Aubameyang thing exacerbated this, but as it came to the point where Pepe and Aubameyang were preparing to go away mm. uh, to AFCON, he began to ramp up his minutes and I wonder how much of that was deliberate and will we see a similar thing similar things this season where players are almost prepared for that moment on Boxing Day when the guys from the World Cup are all still going to be knackered and they need to be ready to come into the team it's it's, it's a whole other aspect to the squad yeah. management isn't it and it's one well I mean the only thing I would say is that no manager you know, you could talk about, let's say, Mikel Arteta being an inexperienced manager, but no manager will have had to deal with this situation before. So everyone is kind of dealing with the same issue. Um, and some will do it better than others. But you've got to keep players match fit, match sharp. All of that kind of stuff is really, mm -hmm. really important. Um, so, and then inevitably there would be some injuries. Um, you know, it's just... I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting. And I think it will play a significant part in the second half of next season. Mm. I think we'll see some strange stuff across European leagues um, and the Premier League because it will have an impact on player fitness, their, um, yeah, injuries, all that kind of stuff. I think it will have an impact, so... It's going to be interesting. It sure Very is. It sure is. Here's one. This is for you. I don't have any of this, but I feel like this one might apply to you. He said, did you guys have any wagers on with your mates preseason? I was at a barbecue last summer, and after a few beers, me and my Ever Everton supporting friend put a £20 bet on who would score more Premier League goals this season, Aubameyang or Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, Aubameyang was leading the way for the whole season despite leaving in January, but a goal off Calvert-Lewin's nipple ended up costing me the bet. Worst bet of all time. <laughs> Do you have any anything like that going um, on? I didn't. No, no. I had a few... 
I'm involved in a few fancy football leagues which where there was a, a wager involved. Did you manage to lose this season, by the way? No. The Arsenal League. Uh, somehow I ended up with 400 points. But, well, wow. I mean, I tell you, basically what I did for the first couple of weeks was transfer in and out a load of... Um, a load of injured players into my team at all times. <laughs> yeah. So that way I wouldn't get any points. But uh, then I just gave up, you know. I gave up and uh, I can't find my fantasy football um, login. Um, but somehow you accidentally managed to accumulate some points. 400 points. I think by virtue of just not looking at my team for six months and some of the injured players got uh, uninjured yeah, and came yeah. back and played and shit like that. So, But uh, no, no big wages, really. No. Um, fortunately, I didn't sort of, you know, have a bet with any Spurs fans about if we'd finish above them. That yeah. would have been catastrophic. That would not have been good. That would not have been good. Um, Error404, who's that generic gooner, says, when are you guys going to play FIFA again? Is it called FIFA now anymore or is it... They, they've I changed don't know. It. Pro Evolution Soccer's dead, isn't it? That's yeah. become something else. That's gone. And FIFA is changing to... I don't know. Um, FIFA game... Now oh, it is changing, changing, isn't it? Because yeah. they... Uh... EA Sports FC. It's in the game. Yeah. Um, Maybe we uh, should have a game during the summer. Maybe, yeah. Point, maybe yeah. when we've got a couple of signings in the bag. And but they won't, some... they won't be on... We'll have to use the FIFA 22, whatever You're it is. Right. You know? You're right. We'll have to use FIFA 22. But we'll do it. We'll do it we'll at some do. point during the summer, yeah. We'll do it one evening. and That's uh, a guarantee, yeah. yeah. There's, no, there's not enough uh, football to distract us, so yeah, we'll definitely yeah, do it. Yeah, we'll do that at some point. All right. I think uh, we should leave it there for this one. Um, we've got through our first... Not quite interlull, but off-season Arscast Extra. Um, so thank you, as always, uh, for listening to the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for downloading and sharing and for your reviews and all that kind of stuff. Um, we'll have a regular one on Friday. We'll do something on Patreon midweek for you as well, hopefully. But for now, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ba, 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 ba.